Hey, this is Daryl Harris, the line developer for Torque Eternity from Ulysses North America. And this is Legends of Tabletop. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is episode 139 for our interview series, our regular episodes. This is the live stream for the podcast. Uh, so if you're tuning in live now, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, if not, we'll catch this later on on the, uh, on the podcast downloads. Probably be tomorrow or the next day. Uh, but welcome, Daryl. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks. That's awesome. Uh, we first ran into each other, I guess, at RenCon last year, and then because I premier gaming convention, premier gaming convention, <laughs> uh, and because I am a horrible human being, I never followed up to have you on before that, and then I ran into you again at AZ Game Fair, and was like, mm, "We need to, we need to do this." So here we go. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Well, it just so happens we've got a Kickstarter coming up." <laughs> Another Kickstarter. Cool. Um, so you're the you're the uh, product uh, line manager. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? So what that means is um, I do I wear many hats is uh, what it means. So uh, I I kind of do writing. I kind of do developing. I kind of do layout. I kind of wrangle other authors. Uh, I kind of wrangle art. You know everything that it takes to just keep things going to get the next book out, to get it together. And with Torg, there's a couple of extra layers on that because we're not just producing books. One of the things about Torg has always been it tells this meta story of the possibility wars. And in the old one, there was a, a whole mail-in campaign. And you, you'd put your results in an envelope and you'd send it in, and they'd tally it up, and they had this like mysterious process where they would track it all. <laughs> and... Uh, and the war would unfold differently depending on what people did. And we do much the same here. It's 10 times easier here in the age of the internet because it's like I can just do an online survey and uh, track stuff that way. But, but we're trying to do exactly that too. And that also falls under my purview. Cool. It's kind of like the living campaigns for like D and D when they used to do Forgotten Realms, and now you know they're doing it again with Fifth Edition. And uh, I guess yeah. some of the other systems have something similar as well, where you you know you sort of affect the meta story as far as things going on in the system. That's so that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Was Torg one of the original ones to sort of take that um, external you know sense of narrative and and sort of disperse it to players? Oh yeah, I think. I think it's pretty safe to say it was the original, like it was the granddaddy because they were doing it before there was an internet to collect that sort of stuff. You know, you actually had to pay a fee and then they would, they would, uh, uh, when they compiled the results, they'd send them back out in these books called Infiniverse updates. Hmm. And, you know, as the, as the war rages on certain parts of core earth, you know, our planet, you know, fall to the enemy realities or get regained to it. And they would actually send GPS coordinates again before <laughs> people had like GPS, you know, stuff or anything like that. 
so you could plot on your own maps, you know, how the war was going. Super cool. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> Cutting edge, bleeding edge. <laughs> so Torg was originally put, put out by West End Games. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the, what was the process? You know, how, how was Torg resuscitated low these many years later? So, and I don't have the exact number of years ago, but it was quite a while ago that Marcus Plotz, who runs Ulysses Spiele, which is the, a, a very large German gaming company, they do the Dark Eye, which is, it's pretty safe to call it like Dungeons and Dragons for, for Germany and Europe. I mean, it's got a very similar profile there. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have that same profile here yet, but they're working on it. <laughs> so right. keep your eyes open for Dark Eye stuff, everyone. But, um, the, uh, he... But Marcus loves Torque. Like he was, you know, and I like to joke that the old Weird Al song, you know, where I like the spatulas so much I bought the company. But he <laughs> loved Torque so much that when he had the opportunity to pick up the IP, he did. And then it was just a matter of finding the right way to bring it back. So he had the old version available for download online on web stores for years and years and years and really wanted to crack that nut and bring it back in a new and exciting way, but it wasn't quite working out. And so he brought in Shane Hensley, who's, you know, everything. Shane's awesome, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Shane got his start writing an adventure for Torque, you know, way back in the day. uh, And so Marcus contacted Shane and said, Hey, would you like to work on this? And so Shane came in and he had a very strong vision for how to update Torg, but make it still feel like Torg when, when it was all said and done, which is extremely difficult, right? Because it's a nineties game. Right. When you start changing things to make it feel more modern and it's like, Oh yeah, this is really slick and it works like you would expect it to now but it stops being torqued at a certain point. And you're like, okay, you lose that feel. Yeah, we can't do that. So there are certain things that when, when new players come to it, or I should say when totally brand new people come to it, they don't know the difference. So they're like, okay, no, this is easy. Right. Anyone that came into gaming circa, you know, D&D 3.0 are like, what is this game doing? Because like, it's kind of pre 2.0, in its grammar and like that does not compute to people. It's like, what do you mean? I don't add my bonus to the D20. Ah! Right. right. <laughs> but, but once you get over that, it actually works out pretty elegantly. Yeah. So it's just a different way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, we, we were, we played a star frontiers campaign for a very little bit with, uh, with Oscar Rios. We, he was on and we started geeking out about it. He's like, Oh, we should totally play. And I didn't play in the heyday of, of games, you know, back in the 80s and charts upon charts. So, you know, we're rolling. He's like, well, just roll a percentile and then compare it to the chart. I'm like, what the hell are you talking? What is that supposed what? to even mean? What? <laughs> what is this charge thing? I don't get it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very weird dynamic for, for someone who's gained, like, you know, say, quote, unquote, more in the modern age, I guess. Right. But once you get used to it, you kind of, you start to see, like, oh, man, actually, this does bring something to it, like something that 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 you might not otherwise get, you know. And, and some of the charts, they did cool stuff with. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is technology that 
it's not as streamlined as a simple die roll, but there's stuff you can do with it that you just can't do with the die roll. And as long as you're making hay with that, it's totally, it's worth the overhead, you know? Right. Right. It's, yeah. It's just a different style of play as well. It's like listening to a seventies stereo versus, you know, something else. It's like, Oh yeah, it's older, but oh, there's, there's something to this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get good vinyl, man. I, I tell you that that's about as good as listening to anything else. For sure. Um, so we don't have a link for the Kickstarter yet. Uh, it, it hasn't it's, gone live. So yeah, it's, we preview, yeah it's the preview is going to go up to everybody tomorrow. So people can, can, can get in, take a look at it before it goes live and kind of see what to expect from it. Uh, and then Tuesday is when we go live live. You know, and we're, we're hoping people jump on it because we've got a couple of uh, limited cool slots that you know there might be a race for we'll see Uh-oh. there was a there was a race for them on the first one and we're going to see if it happens again like our our first one we had 10 slots for the delphi council uh in the which is kind of like the the it's the organization the overall organization for the good guys is the delphi council and that's one of the setups that shane kind of added to it because in the old one the the delphi council were they were kind of not necessarily good guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were they were they were kind of not very trustworthy. Whereas in the new one, uh, Shane felt very strongly that yeah, and and is that you need a story engine, right? right? People need to know what to expect in their game, and having a, a leadership group like the you know like a Delphi Council that can give the good guys missions and can direct the war gives you the ability to, to, to kind of have those missions. And then the cool thing is because it is a player-driven game like the old one, we can promote people to the Delphi Council. Be like, all right, Delphi Council, well, where are you putting your munitions so I can put <laughs> them up, you know? Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and things like that. And that was tied to a, a special game of Gen Con that... Uh, and again, you know, following through on that whole uh, what the players do changes the war. We had an adventure that we were playing there, and we've, we've played it at some other conventions too, and we collate the results. Uh, and based on that, that's kind of changed the map for how the, uh, the living land looks in this book. We've had some zones drop out because they pulled the, the bad guy Stella in this mission. And and we'll be doing more things like that to bring more and more people directly into the game. Cool. But there's also the indirect thing where it's, you know, we've got the adventures and there are certain things, you know, that your questions like, well, you know, did you manage to play glory there? There's this, there's a, a special game mechanic in Tor called glory. And it's a big deal when it happens, you've got to like roll really crazy and have a glory card ready and when it all comes together, boom, you play glory, and there's this huge burst of energy. And it's great for the good guys, like, in that fight mm. and, and for a while after. But more than that, when we send these, these surveys out, we're collecting from people, like, you know, how much glory is happening and where, it's, and where it happens. And that softens up the, the, the villain's resistance in those zones. And... and it opens up the ability to, to pull those Stella and change the map and things like that. So that sounds cool. 
So yeah, there's the direct way and then there's the indirect way. It's like, yeah, if you're out there in your campaign and you're adventuring in New York and you get a glory and you send it, you know, send it in, we go, okay, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in New York. It might fall. And that's bad news for Veracob. <laughs> Cool, cool. Uh, well, so I guess we sort of dance around a little bit, but but for people who don't know what Torg is, would you give us a, a breakdown and kind of give us a synopsis on on what the game is all about? Yeah. So the whole idea behind Torg is you start with Earth, the Earth outside your window. Although technically it's not quite our Earth, it's kind of the Earth that exists in action movies. Mm-hmm. You know, we like to joke that Die Hard is a documentary. You know, on this planet, you know, so there, there are heroes and, and amazing feats are possible just on regular Earth. And then outside of Earth, you have the High Lords. And the High Lords have discovered these tools that let them invade other realities and write their reality on top of it. And when they do that, they, they like vampires, they drain that world's possibility energy. And it funnels directly into the High Lord and makes them practically immortal and gives them power, you know, unimaginable, which makes it then easier for them to take on the next reality. And many of these High Lords have done this over and over and over again. And Core Earth is very rich in this energy. But because it's filled with, you know, diehard action heroes, no one's, you know, kind of felt like they could take it, you know, until now. And so they team up and they all say, okay, maybe no one of us could take this whole planet at once. You know, it'd be like a mosquito hitting an artery. There'd just be no way. But if we all go at the same time, we can carve it up and maybe one of us will get enough energy to become the Torg, you know, this mythical being that has drained, you know, has, as you know, hit a singularity of possibility energy and essentially become a god. Um, or at least that's what they think it is. We don't really know. There's never been a Torg. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, and uh, so the, the planet's carved up into different sections. And every section has been invaded by a different reality. And the different realities are essentially different story tropes. So, like, North America has been taken over by the living land, we call it. And what it is evocative of is, like, Pelucadar and the, you know, survival horror and King Kong and things like that. So it's overrun with, you know, these, these dinos, they're called, lizardmen and dinosaurs and, and jungle that, that makes, you know, concrete crack and, and all that. But because it alters reality to be, like the living land normal people who aren't superheroes they have to follow the laws of that invading reality and there's no such thing as a gun in the living land so you know you might have your nine millimeter and be like no problem mr dinosaur i've got this and then you're like click 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 and it doesn't work <laughs> no i like, oh, sorry there's no guns here man that's not us we don't have this science thing <laughs> get out of here yeah, red tooth and claw. <laughs> now, and then the the player characters are what are called Storm Knights. And the cool thing about Storm Knights is they have the power to to keep their own reality with them. So Core Earth Storm Knight 
is like, you know, they're like, we don't have guns here. And he's like, yeah, but I do. Yeah. That's my superpower. You know, say hello to my little friends. You know, and it works just fine. And, but there are heroes that come from all of the invading realities too. There are resistances that have, that have grown up within them. So you can play an Adinos who's like, oh yeah, you know, Barrett Khan's High Lord, he's done as much damage to our people as he has to yours and we want to stop him. And so they'll, they will leave from the living land and then they've got to go to core earth or the, the pulp adventure realm, you know, in the Nile empire uh, down in Egypt and Africa or the cyber papacy, which is all, you know, cyberpunk over, you know, overrun by, you know, a, a, a twisted version of the Catholic church, you know, that's taken over most of France or Isle it's called, which is a fantasy realm that's taken over uh, England and Norway. And that's basically Dungeons and Dragons. So all the tropes that you would expect there or work there. Right. You know, and, and for example, in the living land in their reality, you, you pray to the goddess Lanala and she answers because she is real, mm. you know, and, but likewise, because reality works like that there, our own priests and, you know, shamans or, you know, anyone that go in there when they pray to their gods, gods answer like that power works for them. Yeah. Right. And, and so the, the whole thing is this, is, is, is this give and take as you go to the different places and different rules apply uh, and, and you use whatever tools you can and, and form your group and fight the high lords. Right. Cool. So you can, um, so unlike say GURPS or something like that, which is, you know, universes, I can do fantasy or I can do this or that. You have all those elements, but there's this huge meta story that, that overarchs the whole thing. It's good. So it does, and it's not just you know, and and there's all sorts of cool systems that let you pull in character archetypes from different kinds of fiction, which is super cool. But what Torg did different back in the day, and what we wanted to hold on to so carefully, is that because the realities are invading us and taking over, when you go into those realities, their story tropes are also in effect. So the game rules change too. So, for example, India has been taken over by the really bad Cosm. It's called Urwarsh, and it's based on Call of Cthulhu and Victoria Horror. Oh. <laughs> and so you're like, woohoo, I'm an action hero. And they're like, yeah, but you're in a horror story now, buddy. Right. So, you know, like the, the world itself is enforcing horror movie tropes. And you're just like, I don't feel very good about this. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Right. Well, that's cool. That, now, could I, I mean, have you heard of people who just, you know, like, I, I just want to do like the D&D world. I don't want to play D&D. I want something that's different, but I like that style of game. And we're just going to set an entire game, you know, so in this cosm. You can, but honestly, the whole point of tour is to be able to start there and then move into the other cosms and see the really fun things that happen. Sure, sure. You know, where, you, where, you, where you've got your wizard with a fireball and then you go to the cyber papacy where they burn witches, you know, right. and, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and you're like, Oh, <laughs> when I, when I try to invoke my magic, you know, and, and, you know, lightning hits me, is, you know, the cyber God says, nay, <laughs> <laughs> we don't like that kind of the year. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, like seeing those gear shifts happen. That's kind of half the fun of the game. Yeah. Now, sure, sure, sure. But that said, we wanted to start from a point, where 
uh, you know, and this is so this is a slight diversion from the original. It was again what made the original so distinct was it was very gonzo, right? Like you, you know, in your first story, you're going to be globe hopping and going everywhere and all of these things, and you're like, oh, we're going to fight a Dinos, but there's mass villains from the Nile Empire here and demons from wherever. Wow, like all this stuff is going on at once. And we wanted to do a slightly slower burn this time around where the kind of in the first year of the war, the realms are very distinctive. You know, you get their flavor. So you really know what it is to be in the living land or what it is to be in the cyber papacy. Sure. And then we'll start mixing the chocolate and the peanut butter, you know, because you've right. got a better <laughs> idea of what you're mixing together and going crazy that way. Okay. And, and is it easy to move from Cosm to Cosm? Like, so if you're, you know, in a jet and you want to go to the living lands, does it like instantly stop working as you're traveling and now you're yeah. on a pterodactyl or like, how does that? That absolutely can happen. Actually. <laughs> so, so the, the invaded areas, the, the borders of them are crackling with this energy from reality storms, you know, just like when you got hot water and cold water meeting in the ocean, you get a storm. Same mm-hmm. thing with reality. And again, ordinary people, ords we call them, have a really hard time with that because reality is in super flux there and you can get really messed up. Storm knights are much more resistant to that, so they can cross. Um, And if a storm knight is exerting his reality, his jet might be just fine. Now, if something goes wrong, it's going to stop working. You're like, yeah, jets don't work here in the living land. Sorry, buddy. You know, but... And if things go really, really wrong, so living, yeah, unliving things like a jet will never transform into living things like a pterodactyl, but it would transform into something equivalent. Like, oh, it could be like now we've got like a a, a trestle, you know, with two boulders and like wings. You're like, oh, it's not gonna <laughs> fly, but it's kind of the same. <laughs> cool. So cool. you do have to be careful with that, but as long as you can cross the reality storm and keep your vehicle intact or just walk absolutely it's just a matter of physically traveling from one place to another cool uh and i guess we should mention that the the kickstarter coming up is for the living lands right that's the cosm that we're going to be yes that's the one that we're we're drilling down on and there you know where we we really go into what makes it tick you know how its reality works uh and how its reality has affected the parts of uh, North America that that it's taken over. Some of that, you know, is the United States. They've also got some areas in Canada. We call it the White Zone. The dinosaurs <laughs> don't like cold, but so they're doing something up there, and no one knows right. what. Uh, and they've also branched down both the east and west coasts and into Mexico. And who knows how far they'll go? Where will they be stopped? Don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's up for us to decide, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, is is so the the core rule book came out last year? Um, yeah. Is is the 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 common core uh, throughout? So, how much does each individual cosm break or invalidate? Maybe the core rules, or do they not? So, what we did when we tried to be. We tried to be very careful this time because we knew when we were setting it up, like how it all fits together. So the the core book actually gives you all of the rules that you need to play and enough information to get started for all of the different costumes. 
So okay. you, you can play Torg anywhere in the world with the core book. And we've got adventures for all the different areas you know, in that set. So enough to get people started because we also knew we're going to do these Cosm books like one at a time and there's going to be time between those. So it's going to take a little while to get through all of them. And we have to get through all of them before we advance the war as a whole forward in the timeline. So the, the Cosm books are set one year into the war. So you'll find out what happens in the first year at the Living Land, but we don't really know what's happening in some of the other places yet until their books come out. We'll sure. hint about it. You know, and there's a few that was actually tricky wording it. We're like, oh, <laughs> gosh, we can't say it this way because that, that either won't be true or may or may not be true, depending on what players do, you know, in these other, in these other realms. We have, it's tricky. We have to be careful about that. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it moves the timeline forward, which is pretty interesting, and you it gives you a lot more villains, and, because also the core book assumes like, hey, you're starting out, it's three months in, you're going to be going on these adventures and gaining in power, and the source books are like, okay, you've probably been on some adventures and gained some power now, you're ready for some of the more dangerous foes. Sure. You know, like the Boraka was a uh, giant dinosaur from the last one. It's like kind of like an armored brontosaurus. The Adenos would like march in cities to smash into skyscrapers. And we added that one, you know, like stuff stuff that like if you were a regular hero from the first book, you'd look at it and go like, well, that's just great, man. I don't know what we're supposed to do now. But. Right. I guess <laughs> we run, right? Is that the plan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could. there are ways to handle it, but you got to get pretty lucky for something like that. And then the High Lord himself, like Baruka, he, uh, he's one of the High Lords that will get his hands dirty. You know, they, they come from a very violent society, and they respect strength. So he's got to be, like, the strongest of Dinos. He's pretty much able to wrestle his entire species into submission, you know, when he needs right. to. And um, so we, we, it was a, we weren't sure whether to preview his stats or rather I really wanted to. And everybody else was like, don't do it. <laughs> you know, like, don't do it. Like A, you should leave the mystery and B, people will pick it apart and be like, oh, once he's got stats, if it's got hit points, you can kill it. Right, right, right. And, uh, but, but because of the nature of the game, it's important that the heroes can interface with the different levels of villains, right? Like, so if he's like, I want to go to Atlanta and I want to beat my chest and say, Barakal, I'm calling you out. You can do that, right? So right. you've got to be ready to be like, all right, you can do that, but you're not going to want to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and also Storm Knights can get very powerful if they know the mechanics and can play the cards right and things like that, they they can be a handful. So we kind of wanted the ability for a beleaguered GM to be like, all right, it's important to make the PCs run here. Barakah is going to show up. Like, right, right. Directly. And when he happens, you're just like, oh, man, we probably do need to run. I don't think <laughs> we can take this guy. Maybe maybe an end game, like after we've gone through two or three years worth of adventures and we've built up, you know, and gotten some of the more advanced character options that aren't published yet, now we've got a chance. But mm. right now, yeah, he's a beast. All right, all right. And I, and I love the response when we put it out there. 
and people are like, oh, like I don't know if I want his stats because now my players will want it. Oh no, never mind. It's cool. That's no joke. We'll just leave it to the players, right? And it's like if they if they think they can yeah. do a thing, then. <laughs> and and the other real challenge with that is not just doing it. So like it's really easy to just say, oh yeah, he's invincible, whatever. But it's like, well, no. We've got to stat them in a way so that when the characters reach a certain level, not only are they capable of battling him, but it's a fun battle. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fun battle at that level, and it's an interesting battle where you're getting your ass kicked like lower on, where you go, oh my god, like what we're playing to get away alive. Right, Let's see right. if we can do this, you know. And that was a that was an interesting design challenge, but I think we got it okay. Cool, cool. Um, and, and core earth in, in this, uh, in this, um, uh, revamp of, of Torg, it kind of gets more, it comes into its own a little bit more like, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's on par with some of the other, uh, cosms now, right? Yeah, it is. And, and this is one of those things that there was always the, there was always the hint of that in the original, but there, there wasn't much to grab onto to really make those guys as interesting as a ninja lizard man spellcaster. You're right. You're okay. right. I don't know. I could play a dude with an M16 or a ninja lizard man spellcaster. I think this is an easy choice. Right. So in the original one, the uh, everyone, every storm knight could do certain things to manipulate reality. And we, we broke with that tradition slightly and that we left that stuff in the game, but we made it the sole purview of the Storm Knights from Core Earth. So they're the ones where, you know, you know, the, the wizard goes, Aha, now I'll destroy you with my fireball or whatever. And the Core Earth guy can be like, magic doesn't work here, buddy. And I'm going to concentrate really hard. He's like, yeah, I guess magic doesn't work here. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> make that that gives them a little bit of interesting and also we've got a lot it's the the we've kind of amped up the 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 cinematic nature of the combat and so they get a lot of abilities that play into that cinematic nature that wouldn't have gelled very well with the, the more realistic tone that the original was trying to hit you know whereas we're like yeah jump on you grab a fire hose jump out a building swing down shoot away <laughs> Woo! what it's all about cool it, it what 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 are the major differences between the original and and now the the reboot as it were do you want mechanical or do you want setting differences uh both okay so i'll try and nutshell this because this is a this is a four hour sure, <laughs> sure, right discussion. so uh one of the biggest difference, differences mechanically between the old one and the new one, the die rolling mechanic remains exactly the same, you know, and the, and the tables that power all of that remain exactly the same, but in the original, and it was a, it was a brilliant mechanic, but it had a, 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 a consequence that we, we didn't want essentially. And the original mechanic was, so you roll your d20, and based on the result, it generates a bonus that you look up from the chart. That bonus would add to your attack skill to hit. It would also add to your damage, which is super cool, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. really elegant. The problem was, in practice, you'd generate your bonus, and if you had to do anything with it, which 
you often did in the rules, you could forget what the bonus was by the time it came to applying damage. Right. And so it got a little harder then. And then the other side effects with that, which some people really cared about and some people didn't, was if something was really hard to hit, that meant you also needed to generate a gigantic bonus to hit it, which meant if you did hit it, you were just going to wipe it off the map. Yeah, the, the oh, glass jaw ninja. Glass jaw ninja <laughs> was what everybody called it. Right? Yeah, so, so what Shane did, and it's, it's a really cool way to do it, is he went back and tied in. So if you hit on the nose, you just do damage. If you hit by five or more, you roll a d6 and add that damage. And if you roll by 10 or more and forget anything beyond that to keep it manageable, you roll two dice and add to damage. And the really neat thing about that was it, uh, A, it's simple, but B, it gives you levers to pull with the abilities and things. You can manipulate those d6s. And the d6s also explode on the maximum result. So you can't now like, oh, I rolled a 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. Wow, I generated a plus 60 bonus. <laughs> and my machine gun just did 80 damage. And the old game actually had caps to prevent that from happening. And this one, we're like, nope, forget caps. <laughs> the, the, the basic cap is built in that on average, it's adding three, three damage to six damage no matter what. Or three right. to seven damage no matter what. But you still get that crazy result. Like, and that that adds so much flexibility and fun in terms of, oh, man, you know, the bad guys have a Russian tank. And it's got, like, 16 toughness higher than any of our weapons. It, we're never going to hurt it, right? But you can still be like Tom Hanks with your pistol and be like, bang, bang, bang. Right. And if something completely ridiculous happens, it needs to be insane luck. Like, it's a one in a thousand shot. But one in a thousand is like, oh, man, that bullet goes, like, right in the open hatch and ricochets around and kills everyone inside. That's right. And that's it. Like, that just happens. You know? And that makes it really fun. Uh, and it's so memorable, too, when something like that happens, you know? It is. It absolutely is. And, it, and it, I find it very freeing as a GM because it means I can throw crazy stuff at the players. And generally, they'll run. They'll be like, oh, man, that's a dragon. We just can't take it. Sometimes they're like, you know what? No, we're gonna we're gonna stick, and every now and then they'll get lucky and be like, "Oh, wow, that was huge!" And it's a big deal to everyone. Every, it's very memorable when it happens. Mm-hmm. In fact, our our best was a uh, was a Russian tank, you know, and it was in a in a uh, a chase with the good guys, and uh, the one of the good guys had the RPG and goes to try and take the tank out, and the toughness versus our, I mean, the RPG is built to be able to hurt the tank, but at the same token, it's a modern tank is also kind of built to take it and not be destroyed. Right. But got that epic roll and all the roll-ups and all that. It's like, yeah, you guys did it. You took out that tank. <laughs> it's super memorable from then on. Yeah. And the, the D20s also explode, right? So if you're all a 10 or a 20, they also. Yeah. Well, that, and that was the original mechanic that was so cool. Like that was what was memorable and what we needed to keep for it to still be torque, right? It was that that you you yes, you generate a number and compare it to a chart, and like ten's kind of the average, which just doesn't add anything. And twenty gives you like a bonus around five or six, and then but you can keep going up because mm. 
if you roll a 10 or a 20, you roll another D20 and add and add and add, and you've got all sorts of mechanics, like your your possibilities, they're called, which are like fate points or Savage Worlds bennies. You add a D20 and it adds, and you know, you can get that number really high up to generate larger bonuses. Um, and what's super elegant, it's one of those you know, as a, as a game designer, when you look at it and you're like, oh, that's so cool, was if you're trained in a skill, yes, 10s and 20s explode. If you're rolling against a skill that you don't have, 10s still explode, 20s don't. Hmm. Okay. So you can still roll well and even conceivably roll, like, very, very well, but it's harder. It's right. Like, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah. such, such a little thing, but it just... Oh, really has that snap. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, archetypes were part of the original uh, game system, and you obviously, obviously, you guys have kept that. We've also added perks for yes. uh, for the new new uh, iteration. Yeah. So, original Torg tried to do the differentiation between the different types of types of characters by adding new skills. So, you know, like other oh, be a, if you were a pulp hero with a crazy weapon, you'd have a weird science skill. And that skill didn't exist in the core book, so you know you, you needed to go to the Nile Empire to learn it and be like, aha, now I can do weird science. And uh, we felt very strongly that we wanted to keep a universal skill set, which we introduced in the first book, and we have a design you know mandate, you know, thou shalt not add new skills. <laughs> no, like they're, they're what we've got is what we've got, and. We're expanding from it. We're, we expand from there, but we don't add skills. Now, but perks, we kind of offloaded what those new skills did into perks and say, oh, you just take a weird science perk and that gives you a Rega or, you know, gives you an invention or whatever. And that, it, it takes a lot of pressure off the skills and it also makes it very easy to add new types of characters later. We go, ah. Here's just a new type of perks that you can add and you can build off them and do prerequisites and, and give them limits. Like, oh, you can only take these perks if you're from the living land or if you've transformed to become part of the living lands, you know. Right. Almost like feats in D&D, like for, uh, I didn't oh, play yeah. third, but probably third and also yeah. fourth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same. It's the same concept. Many games do it. Yeah. But it was. it's just a much more manageable way to approach it. And it also makes the characters more distinct. Right. Where you can just be like, oh, yeah, I, I want to play an electric samurai. Well, you should probably take the electric samurai perk. And that's going to give you, you know, your electric you know, katana and, and stuff like that. You go, ah, now I'm an electric samurai. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do the, do the perks factor in? Because it seems like, um, and I don't know about the original system, but now it seems like, you know, like if you're playing the face character, you have an, an equal opportunity in combat. You're not like, well, we're, we're not sure. going to talk to him, right? Like we, we've passed, okay, I'm just going to, I'll wait over here, you know? <laughs> well, that was actually one of the things that the original system did that made it so cool and unique was it had options for the face character back then. So there's this mechanic called approved actions. You know, and this is and all the initiative in the game is controlled cards which, again, at the time was unheard of and actually turned a lot of people off. But once you lean into it and see what it brings onto the table, it's really cool. 
because you can't do something like approved actions without a mechanic like the card deck, you know. But you you flip the card over and it's going to tell you who goes first, who goes last. But it also tells you, hey, this round trick is an approved action. So if if you and tricks a skill, if you roll this interaction and trick the bad guy, not only you do, do you get the general result, which all, any interaction is either going to do what's called stymie or vulnerable. And stymie gives the bad guy a minus two on their tests, which makes it harder for them to hurt you. Right. Or it makes them vulnerable, which gives everybody that's doing stuff to them a plus two, you know, to, to hurt them. And that's how you blow up the tank, right? right. Okay, we're going to use a maneuver to trick the guy. It's going to expose its belly. And now it's very vulnerable. So any attack against it's plus four, which means we're going to get one more bonus die out of it than we did before. Yeah, and it all, it all stacks up. And suddenly you go, oh, man, the guy that's just pretty clever has something to do even if he can't hurt the tank. You right. can throw off its shot or expose its belly or, or whatever. And when people figure that out, it's so cool. Like, the, you know, because they're playing a certain way at first. Like, okay, I attack. Well, I move and attack. And it's like, okay. And then once they figure out the coordination and the teamwork of, oh, wait, if I go first and I use a maneuver on this guy and make him vulnerable, then you go with your bigger attack. Oh, man. I mean, we just creamed that guy, and I still felt really useful, even though my attack is much smaller. Right. And, if you, and if you get those by 10, you can still take the guy out without damage. right? Because, like, Edinos, they're, like, really tough. They're these big, strong lizard guys or whatever, but they're dumb as cameras, <laughs> right? I mean, they're really dumb, so they're vulnerable to trick. And, you know, Professor Egghead, who's, you know, punches it for, like, seven damage and bounces off, like can't even hurt it with shock, might have, like, you know, managed to, you know, look, a comet and lure the stupid Adinos to fall off a bridge or something. And if he gets it by 10 or more, a little guy, he just takes him out. Like, it's done, you know. And people right. love that when they figure out, oh, man, I can do that. You know, I can, I can do the maneuver to, like, grab his grenade and do whatever. And by the end of it, it's called the, the player's call. You know, and it's a negotiation to see what's appropriate, but it up to and including that target is just taken out of combat for good. That's very cool. So you've got three different kinds of cards uh, for the for the new iteration. You've got so the the drama deck, I guess, is kind of what we're talking about here. Sort of controls the ebb and flow of combat. Also, it's the dramatic scenes doesn't necessarily have to be combat as well, right? Yeah, right. So normally you only use the you you only generally use the deck during combat. Oh, okay. It's it's it's, it's meant for that for the ebb and flow. Um, but uh, and then yeah, in the original game, the there were they were called des you know your destiny hand, and they used the same cards because they didn't have the resources you know that. that that, that we did necessarily. And so you draw the same ones and you could play them to get bonuses on your turn. And like, that was where glory came from. It's from, from a hand played a card played from your hands. Um, and again, we wanted to keep that, but back in the day, one of the things that people bounced off of was because you had both sets of information on one card it could be kind of confusing to new players. So we're like, all right, I mean, 
we've actually got the same number of cards as we had before. We just parted them out in a different way and, and in the same uh, the same numbers, essentially. The, the ratios are exactly the same as they used to be. But now the drama deck is separated, so just the GM has to has it and deals with it. And players just have their their destiny hands. And that just tells them right on the card. This is what you can do with it. And that gives us more space to say what this means so you don't have to refer to anything else. And it also has space for cool art. And that makes them look more interesting and pretty and reinforces the imagery of the game, the iconic nature of it. And then the, and then the third part of that is the Cosm cards. And there were a couple of weird cards in the original that were kind of Cosm cards, but there was no grammar for it back in the old games. So there's one called Lanala's Will that got added. And Lanala is the goddess of the living land, and you play this card, and like technology could fail, blah, blah, blah. Problem was, I mean, the deck was just the deck. So you could be playing in the cyber papacy, and Lanala's Will comes up, and you're kind of like, uh, does not compute, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's just not how this Cosm rolls. So we said, what if we took you know, that out, but we created a separate deck of Cosm cards that we can give to the players and that reinforces all the tropes of these different Cosms without needing extra rules overhead. So you know, in the Living Land, one of the things that happens is stuff decays and breaks down. You know, machine guns rust within a day or two. And you could do that with a overall rule that just says, oh, while you're in the living land, roll every day to see if your equipment goes away. Eh, okay, whatever. You can, but who's going to remember it? And that's more work for everyone. Mm -hmm. But if when you go into the living land, you're all dealt this Cosm card, and one of the Cosm cards is the Law of Decay. And if you play it, you're going to lose a piece of equipment to decay, but you're going to get possibilities based on how important that piece of equipment was. So if you're like, oh, you know, my baby Ruth went bad. You know, my candy bar isn't working anymore. Okay, that's great. That's cool. You lose your candy bar, zero possibility. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you got my, your named trademark, you know, M16, you know, with, with 16 kills, you know, marked on the barrel, and that turns to dust in front of you, and you're like, no! All right, that's worth three. You know, you're going to – that was a good one. Way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and well, – and, and it becomes a player choice at that point. So if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And giving that power to the players is very true to the spirit of Torg and, and makes it easier for everyone. Right. And, and, and the players get one Cosm card. Was it procession? Yeah, it's one procession. And if you, if you cross into a different Cosm during the session, if you haven't spent your Cosm card yet, you turn that one in and get a card for the new Cosm. And the, the different Cosm cards have very different effects. Like, so, like, Core Earths are, like, universally helpful to the good guys. You know, they're, they're stuff like, oh, you know, one of my favorites was, like, the, 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 the lucky hit or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, you take this massive damage, but it doesn't do anything because it hit your lighter, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm fine, you know. <laughs> Went through the jacket, yeah. Yeah, right. So, like, Kukorits are all good like that. And then you go to Aurorish, the horror realm, and they're all terrible. <laughs> Every single one of them is like, oh, my God. It's just, it's just over and over and over again. But in a humor, like, 
you know, I what is designed to be a very fun way. You know, like the one we've had the most fun with is called Damned. So <laughs> uh, it's a it's a cosmic well two actually. The two most fun ones are Damned and Lights Out. So Damned is a cosmic card that you play and it lets you steal possibility from another player. Oh. But then you have to test but you have to test corrupt like it's called a corruption test. And if you if you fail those, you become more and more evil as you go until you kind of turn into a monster yourself. So yeah, you have to make the corruption test, but if you make it, you're just like, oh, you got a lot of possibilities over there. I think I'll just <laughs> take those. And uh, it just makes the table so tense and angry, which is just perfect for Rorsch. And then the other one's lights out. And one of the world laws, like every cosm's got like essentially two real world laws that affect gameplay. And one of the uh, Arorsh world laws is monsters get tougher in the dark. Mm. So, you That's know, nice. there's a, so yeah, like there's a minus two, minus four, minus six darkness penalty, and they get plus two, plus four, plus six darkness based on what it is. So it's really important to have your flashlight or your torch or whatever. And there's a Cosm card just called Lights Out. And all it does, you get a possibility for playing it, but it puts out your lights. Mm. And I, I have laughed so hard every time that's happened because, ah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, like, it's a it's quintessential a, moment in the movies, right? When they're, it is. And, you know, lights just go out and it's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And it's the kind of thing that if it was like a random thing, it would be a dip move by the GM. But since it's a player choice, and, and you can always tell because the player smiles too and knows it's like it's probably not worth it, but it's just so much fun to play. They just do it every time. It's, uh, it's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it speaks to, you know, like, say, Deadlands, where you can, you know, take faults for your character, but you're going to offset that with, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll get an extra point or I'll, I, you know, I can pick up an extra die type or something like that. And it's so much more interesting than, like, oh, I just succeed all the time or, you know, we yeah. always win. or Like, there's there always has to be that, that give and take, that ebb and flow where, you know, yeah. things are not always fantastic because it adds that much more drama to it. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, it's, you know, because... Shane was the driving force behind this. It's no no accident that you're kind of comparing that to Deadlands. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, right. And that and but and that's just it. Like people, even if hindrances didn't give you anything, people would still take them in that system because they're interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, how important is it to have Shane? you know, on the project, you know, I guess maybe more so for him, you know, that's how we got to start, you know, there's all that nostalgia and stuff, but, but as a, as a driving force, as a, it would not, it, I can't imagine what this game would look like without his input. I literally can't imagine it. You know, it was, he had a, a very distinctive and strong vision that, you know, you can definitely see his fingerprints all over the system. And, you know, one of the, you know, fun parts for me was, you know, when I came in and got to work with him on it was I shared that vision very early on. Like it made a lot of sense to me. And so when it came time for him to go back to focus on Savage Worlds and Pinnacle and he said, but you know, that's okay. You've got this. And he's still my navigation point. Like I, I, I know where he was going with it. And so that's the direction that I can cruise to. And that makes it, it makes my job much more doable. That's for sure. Right, right. 
Well, that's that, that's cool. It, it, like it, it's such a, a cool arc to, to just to to see that you know for someone to have their their start in this and then come back and then be sort of the you know the leading edge behind it is just oh, yeah. really cool. And, and he loves Torg. I mean, like like it's. I'd still say like Marcus is Torg's number one fan. <laughs> probably number two. <laughs> cool. That's really cool. Uh, I was I was disappointed. I thought uh, Shane was coming down to uh, to Rincon last year, and I, I guess something came up at the last minute, and he didn't make it. I was like, oh man, I really wanted to get a chance to talk to him. Well, well, we keep trying to lure him down. Yeah, well, it's it's far, I, I guess, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's a couple hours from. Yeah, but I, it was a yeah, it was a unique circumstance that prevented him this year. He usually goes to Rincon because he enjoys it. It's a good time. And, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully this year nothing will come up. That would be cool. That'd be cool. Um, is there any particular um, anything that's peculiar to a GM in Torg that you know maybe doesn't have a corollary in say like Dungeons and Dragons or something like that? Well, so the system does keep you on your toes as a GM, and this is not unique to to Torg. I mean, there's a lot of systems that kind of force a GM to improvise. But because of the nature of the destiny cards, you know, like there's a, a card called Bromance, which, you know, the, the player can be like, cool, I am going to play this now. This element is now added to the story. Mm. I have spoken, I have manipulated reality, and now either one of the existing NPCs has become a romantic interest for me, or you're going to have to figure something out, like really fast. <laughs> you know? And... The, those romance cards have been played in some pretty weird situations. <laughs> but the great thing is like when you, when, but, and you, and sometimes as a gene, you gotta be like, I, I need a couple minutes here and think <laughs> about it. But when you come up with it, the, 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 the cool twists that that adds to the story, it adds surprise for you too. And so, so yes, it forces you to improvise. And some GMs are kind of like, ah, that's the devil. But, it gives you tools to do it. Like on every one, we're, we're going to give you options and, and, you know, and hints and some things to do. Cause I don't like it when a game system makes you wing it too much. Like I, I enjoy flexibility, but not to the point where I'm like, well, I'm just writing a game now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> now I'm playing. I don't really want to do that. You know? So, so we try to give people something to lean on, but it, it also, it forces you to adapt. You know, and it's the same with the war overall. Like we have a general outline, but we know we're going to have to adapt that outline because the players are going to take it in a different direction. And we're going to have to go along for the ride. And that's what makes it fun. Cool. Very cool. Now, are you guys planning on, on multiple Kickstarters now every year? If we're going to see like, uh, you know, a single Cosm book come out for a Kickstarter. Are you guys planning on doing like one a quarter or twice a year? Like, so a lot of that depends on production. So for in terms of uh, in terms of some aspects, we could probably do three a year pretty easily. But in other areas, probably not. I, mean, I think right now, like this year, we're aiming for two. And if we if things go well and we can get ahead, then maybe three, you know, and four. But the other consideration to that is we also don't want to exhaust 
our customer bases, right? Because yeah, yeah. we offer a lot of we offer a lot of books in those Kickstarters, and we offer some pretty premium packages, which we want people to want. Like we, you know, we kind of want you to blow your wad on this, and then okay, we're going to give you a rest for six months while you use all of that stuff and, and get it going. Um, would we would we like to put it out faster? Absolutely. Can we? Probably. Would the customers be ready for it? I don't know, right? And so there's going to be some experimentation as we go over the next couple of years. Like, how much is too much? What you know can we expect? And you know, because obviously we'd really want to get through the 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 year one Cosm books as quickly as possible. We'd kind of hoped to blow through that for a year, but. I mean, chipping, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There's just kind of only so much you can do on some of that. That, that uh, it's like, well, I don't think we're going to be able to do for a year, and I, I don't think, I think people would be exhausted if we tried. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah. it's kind of what you get, like you know, it's, you know, pr- uh, previous editions of like say D and D, you get that, you know, splat book. You know, people just become fatigued with, oh, geez, there's another book. Like, I don't, do I want that one? Yeah. I'll just, you know. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. And yeah, so, and the, and the cool thing is we've got the, we were a little worried about this, right? Because there's certain material that's just not, you know, like the, our big world-spanning adventure, like so, but since we're focused on the individual cosms, like we don't, that, that's kind of a hole that, that, that's missing. And we're like, oh man, you know, what are, what are people going to do in the meantime in that gap? And that's where the Infiniverse Exchange came in. Because we, we had a lot of people that you know want to do stuff for Torg and, and have that, and and it's it's technology that exists, right? There's the DM guild and you know stuff like that. So we're like, can we do this? Well, let's make it a stretch goal, and maybe we hit it, maybe we don't. And then we hit it, and we're like, oh god, I guess we got to figure out how to do this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's up now, and the community's been doing some really cool stuff in their adventures that'll, that for the people that really want more, it's there you know, for them to get. And the people that are creating that content you are getting their cut of that. So that's going to be very cool going forward. And I'm very I'm impressed with the content on there. There's, there's some great stuff. Cool. I, I do have, I want to follow up on Kickstarter, but Space Goblin is in the chat and said he got to play, or she, uh, I, I don't know, uh, I played Torg at Rincon last year and unleashed a dinosaur on the group. Yeah. Me, so. Okay. <laughs> I know exactly who that person is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, right. We were talking about Cosm cards and how you can use them for terrible results. And yeah. One of the Living Lands Cosm cards is called Dino Attack. So, <laughs> Places filled with dinosaurs. Go figure. <laughs> Anytime you want to drop that, you'll you'll get some possibilities. But <laughs> you're gonna get a T-Rex or a Mosasaur or something ruin your day in the meantime. Yeah, you gotta make a <laughs> pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so just to follow up with Kickstarter stuff, uh, I, and and Space Goblin is a she. So cool. Rock uh, and roll. Thank you, Tord fans. <laughs> Um, you know, is it, it's weird, right? Cause people are like, people are all in, right? Like I'm going to give you, you know, 
$200 for the, you know, for the box set. I'm going to, I'm going to do the, the leather bound thing. I'm going to do 80 bucks. But you know, now if, if I don't have my books yet and I see, Oh, you're running another Kickstarter, people are funny. Like, why do I not have my book and you're working on something else? Cause there's, there's a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. Like, okay, well we've have things are at the printers and things are in shipping and things are in production and we're, yeah. you know, shifting gears. We're still working on this. Yes. But it's at a point where, so, and that is why we delayed this Kickstarter until those books were in people's hands. There are, there are about a hundred people that don't have their stuff yet. And they're the people that, because communication is complicated, right? So you've got your Kickstarter and then you've got a backer kit that's separate from that. Right. And some people didn't, understand the transition between the two so you fill out your 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 survey for one or some people even missed the, the survey on both and uh so now they're like wait why does everybody else have stuff for me and it's like because we kept asking you where you live and we don't know <laughs> we can't send it to you uh, and uh so those people don't have their books yet but everybody else does and we were very specifically waiting until that happened before we launched the Kickstarter for the second one to avoid exactly that. Like mm -hmm. We could we could have kickstarted this earlier, but right, like I don't, I personally am not comfortable saying, please give me more money, even though I haven't <laughs> delivered on what I already said that I, would, you know, right. Well, and and just as as a bigger issue, so you know, Watsy's going to put out books every year, regardless. Of, of whatever like their stuff's just going to come out for almost everybody else uh, you know is kickstarter gonna be the paradigm now for rpgs because it's such a robust community and there's such great stuff that's coming out like torg and you know all these other rpgs and some of them real indie real niche but still very well written very you know well illustrated but you know, you're not just going to find that at your local game store because like you said, shipping and printing and everything just costs so much money. So it's, this is an interesting thing. And if I had the exact answer to this, <laughs> I could sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> so, but I can, I mean, I can tell you what it sure seems like to me is essentially you, you have very big products where distribution makes sense and so you're not going to you're not going to kickstart those you know like pathfinder doesn't need crowdfunding it's a distributed product and its scale is such that it would be it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be a good fit for right. crowdfunding and then you've got very small projects like a lot of indie games where that is like a perfect fit and that's exactly what they're for and there will always that that's that's kind of always going to be their thing and then there's the guys in the middle and we're kind of in that middle space where it's really hard, right? Where it's like, wow, we're almost, you know, we're, we're almost big enough for distribution, but not really. And you've got to, when you've got a, a, an IP like Torg where you go, okay, there's a lot of love for it that we think is there, but we don't know. Hmm. So do we print 10,000 of these and hope there's Torg fans out there that we don't know about? If we do, we lose all, and we lose everything because yeah. Kickstarter said there's about two or three thousand people out there that are very fond of that. And maybe we can grow that via Kickstarter, um, but it is very difficult 
it's very difficult to carve out uh, notice through the distribution channels. Like, what are you going to do? Put an ad in Game Trade Magazine that no one's going to read? <laughs> yeah. you know, I hope it just sits on the shelf and someone buys it. How do you get to people so they know that you've got a game worth buying? You don't. Whereas with Kickstarter, you can advertise directly through the platform. You know, people are on there looking for games. And you can say, hey, look, here's our game. Are you interested? We think it's pretty cool. Cool. Like 2,500 of you think it's pretty cool too. We'll make more. You know? right. and, and, and as long as that remains true, we'll, we'll be going back there looking to do more. And if it doesn't, then we got to adjust. We got to figure out why did we lose people? Can we get them back? What, what's happening here? And I think that's every game in that middle space is doing the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. And, he, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm saying Kickstarter's biggest thing is it's got people. People yeah. are now on there looking for products and that's, that's worth a lot. That's why I don't think any other platform is going to overtake it anytime soon because other platforms can be better and easier and whatever, but if nobody's looking at it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Space Goblin said that uh, she's a Torg fan for life now. So you've got at least one one, one buyer for everything. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kickstarter used to be like, you know, I, I had this idea. What do you think? You know, would you support something like this? And now you have, you know, not to bash Cole Mini or not, but, you know, hey, we have this thing. We just don't feel like, you know, we're going to print it right now. You know, yeah. we know we're going to make $2 million and well, you guys can just fund it all now. We, we're not out anything, you know. Well, it's right. a weird dynamic now. Yeah, but it does make sense for them, right? Because that's where their audience is looking. Yeah. Right? At this point, no yeah, for sure. No one's going into a store saying, I'd like to pre-order a cool mini or not. They're all looking for the next new mini thing on Kickstarter. So that's where you go. You yeah. yeah. And if distributors want to change that, they got to look, how are we going to rest that back? You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a huge market. I mean, there's been such a resurgence in the last, you know, I don't know, five, six years of, of you know, board gaming and, and tabletop gaming and all that stuff. And Kickstarter's had a, a pretty big hand in that, I wager. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's it's a way for people, essentially, it's a way for people to get direct access to what's going on and what they want. And developers, we love it too, right? Because we can float that idea out there. Mm -hmm. And say like I think this is cool, and then nobody like crickets chirp, and you go, oh, "Okay, well, all right, I just saved a lot of money by going. I maybe lost some on my pre-production costs, but I saved a lot by not printing hundred thousand copies that are just going to go to a dumpster." So right, right, hooray! You know, this is a win for me. <laughs> And it's cool for consumers, right? Because like, you know, you come out, you know, you, you know, Torg is rebooted and the Kickstarter comes out and, and people can just, you know, reach out and contact you guys directly and be like, hey, yep. you know, where, you know, where is this going? Where is this line at? Like, you know, how is this different? And, oh, and yeah. you know, just that, that direct communication is just so awesome. It's not like you're calling, you know, GE, you know, about the next fridge or whatever. Like, it, it's just a very intimate in, in a right. certain Sense. Oh yeah, and people on our forums will post stuff and be like, "I really want that next fridge to be orange." And I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> "I'll throw an orange fridge in a book if it's going to make somebody happy." Look on page thirty-three. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
it's, it's very cool. It's very cool. Um, so are you are you a red box guy? Are you a blue box guy? How did you get involved in in gaming in general? What, what, what's your origin story? So my origin story was in junior high. My friends started playing a role playing game called Champions, mm. which I loved to pieces. Right, love comic books, and so Champions was where it was at. And not only is Champions a very fun game, and I actually like the older editions better. I'm a I'm a little weird on that one there's some great stuff in the newer ones but like the old ones have that 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 simplicity and pop to them right even though they're totally broken <laughs> but, I, but i love them right um and, and the other cool thing about champions was it invited you to tinker with it because it was a framework for building new powers and things like that and so you know it it, it kind of invites you and says hey come design some game right and then I played some GURPS, and then I was like, all right, there's things about GURPS that I like and things about champions that I like, but they don't play well together. What what can I do that's going to have both these elements that I like? You know, we call it hacking now. You know, yeah. Just taking a, a system and modifying it to, to do whatever. So I started hacking those systems and got the bug to design. And it was amateur hour, right? Like you're in high school, you're doing this stuff. You're playing it with your friends, but you, you you keep at it because you love it. And then later on, where I became a professional was uh, I had an idea for a space combat game. And it was published as Hard Vacuum from a group called Fat Messiah Games, which actually – so their, their number one seller was uh, Phil Eklund, who did Sierra Madre Games, which is actually local – here in Tucson, or was. Now he's in Germany, actually. But <laughs> but back then he was in Tucson, so he was kind of my connection, right? And I got to know Fat Messiah through him. And I, I pitched my space combat game to him. We played it at a strategic con, and they're like, all right, that's solid. Let's do it, you know? And um, it was okay. You know, it, it, it sold a you know fairly smallish print run, but it turns out, you know, for anyone out there trying to break into the business, you know, actually finishing a game on any scale puts you ahead of like 99% of everyone else <laughs> in, the, in the presumed industry. You know? And I, I didn't follow up on much with that for many years because I was busy, you know, making a living in the real world. But, you know, I kept in touch with people and I kept going to conventions and I kept tinkering and improving my craft. And then, you know, eventually when I got laid off from my real world job, I was like, well, I've got just enough. I've got just enough of a nest egg to risk trying to do this for a living. And I fully assumed that I would fail utterly to do so because I had done the math and it is very, very, very unlikely to make ends meet as a freelance writer. Um, but I got really lucky. I, I got a lot of jobs early off. I completed those jobs successfully, which meant I got more jobs. And it's funny and, how that works. Yeah, <laughs> right. That that puts you ahead of the other two percent. You can do that. <laughs> and uh, then I started gaming with Shane, and Shane was like, "Hey, I like the way you think. You know, let's let's work on some stuff together." And that brought me into Torg, and that was. That was uh, that was the 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 big the big push 
you say my, my early jobs were actually, and I always want to shout out to Eloy Lasanta, Third Eye Games. He gave me my very first break when I jumped in. So I, I always like to, to give him a little bit of love. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and now you're, you, you're, you're sucked in, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, um, they, they got you try to get out and they pull you back in. I'm not trying to get out. Like I said, I love <laughs> it. This is what I've wanted to do since I was in high school and didn't think I could actually get paid to do. So, and it, it makes it, it makes it interesting when you love your work so much that you forget to stop working. So you're very productive, but you're also like, Oh my God, I need to stop working and do something else. So, <laughs> you know, I'm getting fat because I'm just sitting in a chair. It's like, you stop. You have to watch your work-life balance when that happens. But that's a damn nice problem to have. Yeah. You love what you're doing that much. So, yeah, I ain't trying to get out at all. I'm just trying to do whatever I can to stay in. Awesome. So, so you haven't hit that that point where it's like I love this so much. I'm, I, you know, I get to do it, and now it's like, oh, you know, you get through that phase like where this is work now, right? Like it's not as much fun anymore because it it, it is, and and that was a concern when I first tried to do this professionally, right? Because I felt that a little bit when I did hard vacuums. It was a ton of work, and it, you know, it didn't make really much money at all. So I was like, wow, this is like working a second job for free. Uh, I don't know if I can do this, right? <laughs> and, and, to the choir. <laughs> yeah. And so when I went to try it full time, one of my fears going in is I like I love doing this as a hobby, right? Like I'll come home from a nine hour work day and then I'll work on my own game stuff for four hours and feel more rested than when I started. But if I were working on game stuff for 13 hours for pay and it's game stuff that I might not even necessarily like, will I still love it? Will that destroy my love for it? And that was a concern of mine going in and I am happy to report. Nope. Love it all. Whatever. Bring it on. It's great. I'll do it awesome. forever. Do it till That's I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You always wonder about stuff like that. Like I, we play a ton of games for the podcast and, and I know some people like, make a living at, at streaming now like they just twitch they have schedules yeah. up you know they're doing I'm like man i don't know that i would want to do that like every day like i don't it's not like i want to go to work every day either but you know, right right just yeah. feel it kind of take the shine off a little bit yeah i am extremely fortunate that's good that's good i a lot of the joy that you know we get you know especially like you know as an adult gaming you know and not even for the podcast like i don't everything I play now is, is literally recorded <laughs> for the podcast. Like I don't play in meat space anymore. Um, my daughter and her boyfriend, I just started running a fifth edition campaign for them. So I guess it's not entirely true. And that's um, good though, right? Like you need to do a little bit of that and that keeps that love sharpened. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's a, it's different for me now because I'm so used to just re, you know, recording and being, you know, kind of on camera. So it's a, it's definitely a different dynamic and it's cool to see them, you know, interact with it and, and, you know, try to like test it out. Cause you know, my daughter's not really a gamer. She'll play some board games and stuff, but she's not like into it. Um, and yet, yet and, and, and she'll play some stuff and, and you know we've kind of gone back and forth like i've always asked her to play she's like nah i don't you know you're a nerd i'm not gonna do that and then it came to a point where she's like i think i want to play and i'm like oh my god take this book and this book and this book and <laughs> it, it happens so yeah my, 
when we were growing up, my sister was like nerds. Now she's like the biggest nerd of all of us, which is super, like which makes it super fun, right? <laughs> like she's probably the most clever player I've ever played with, you know. So it's like, and that's that's what we need to be open to is is drawing in those people that like were initially like, oh, that's not for me, mm-hmm. and being receptive to when it is for you, right? Like. It's, Maybe not in the same way it was for us, but you find your own way, and it's going to be really freaking cool when you do. And I can't wait to see what games you do. Right. And then they come in with no preconceived notions of how it's supposed, quote unquote, supposed to be. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I want to go do this weird thing. And you're like, "Uh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, let's let's go do that because I was just going to stab it. You know, like. (laughs) It is. I think the biggest mistake, you know, Grognards make is you know trying to teach people how to do it their way it's like no let them you know that's that's why they weren't interested before you know, yeah like, you know that's you just it's just like playing to find out in a regular game or having to be on your toes as a gm like being on your toes as a human being open to those new experiences and how how it changes the the gamescape it's really cool yeah for sure now, to speak to that a little bit, because, you know, you go to a lot of conventions, you run a lot of games. Uh, how do you find that experience? Are your tables normally, uh, I don't say well-adjusted because it sounds like I'm, 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 you know, bashing on people. But, but you know, has your, have you had an overall good experience running games at conventions or is it a, kind of a mixed bag? Like, where do you see the hobby from your vantage point? So... And there's a, this is a biased view, right? Because because I can only speak to my experience. Right. My experience has been awesome, awesome, right? Like there are there are certain games which I won't mention that I don't have a lot of interest in playing. And when I like peek into their area, and I go, "Yep, still no interest in playing." <laughs> right? like, that's not a scene that I am interested in. Yeah. Stuff that I do like to play. So far, Torg. I mean, and the community is still building on Torg, uh, but so far it's been freaking great. It's been very, it's a very relaxed and open-minded community, you know. And uh, the other games that I like, I love to play Savage Worlds, and it has a very similar community, right? Like, it, it takes a certain kind of player to play any game where it's like, oh, okay, we rolled up, rolled up, rolled up, rolled up, you're dead, done. Yeah. You know, like when that can happen to you, you like only a certain type of player who's kind of like, all right, well, that was fun. Those are the kind of people that you want to play with anyway, right? And yeah. and so like those mechanics draw like a certain segment of the audience and it tends to be a really fun segment, right? Like they're the people you kind of want to hang out with and have a beer with anyway. And so, yeah, I've had a great time. Great time, you know, and, and I try to try different games, new things, you know, just to see what I'm missing, right? You know, my original goal was to, like, play every role-playing game, and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that's never going to (laughs) happen. So I had to give up on that one. But um, I I play a lot of them just to see what unique thing they're bringing to the table. And people are cool, man. Like, game conventions have a lot of cool people in them. Love them. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun, and 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 cons like Raincon, 
um, are just awesome because it's it's small enough that you see the same people all weekend, and they you know they're bringing you know great guests and like you know you're there and you know yeah there's a there's a certain like size of game convention that I have found to be my favorite right and Rincon's hitting in there there's one in Denver called Genghis Khan. I haven't been to Tacticon yet, but I hear it's about the same. There's one in Austin called Chupacabra Con. Uh-huh. And they're all in that like 500, 600 person range. And they've just like got a, a fairly strong mix of the local GMs that bring in the flavor and, and pros that come in more to have fun than their games. And man, it's great. Like I love going to all of those. Like those are the ones I'll pay to go to. Oh shoot! I shouldn't have said that because some of them paid me to go. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost it. your ticket. I did. I lost my ticket. I ruined it. No. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I like. Those are those are really fun. That size, and there's something to be said for the bigger ones, but that's the size that I like. Yeah, I, me too, for sure. Like, like I said, I, when we were talking, uh, you know, before the show, I've I've never been to, to Gen Con, but I've been to PAX East, um, and it's. Man, it's a lot of people. Like it, it's it's almost too many people. Like for me personally, to have a good time because you're just it's just such a mass around you, like all the time, and it's so loud and it's just so many people. But, but something like Rincon or, or you know, we were just yeah. at AZ Game Fair, you know, which about, about the same size. Uh, it's just so much fun. Like so you run into the same people. And like you know, we went up the bar with some people that we just like happened to run into, and we're like, "Oh, you're going there? We're going to go there too. Let's get a beer and you know break out the games on the on the bar, you know, on the on the bar." So it was like, yeah, it's really cool. I think every gamer, at least once in their life, should make the pilgrimage to Gen Con to experience the scale because it is an unimaginable scale. Like it's like. If you've ever been to San Diego Comic Con, like the first time you go, and you're just like, yeah, <laughs> like the scale of it, there's nothing like it. Gen Con is like that, you know, when you just see this cavern that goes on and you can't see the back wall of, and it's all vendors, and you're just like, oh my god, I I didn't set aside an entire day to go through this, and I will need that to see all the cool stuff that I could have been buying. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I say, but, but it's super expensive. It's super hassle and it's, it's, it's painful, but it's also really cool. So like, like that, that once all, you know, one, at least once <laughs> you should go. And then once you're gone, you were like, all right, that was cool. I don't need to go again. <laughs> I did that. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be cool for me just because I know so many people from doing the podcast that would yep. be there. So just to like meet up with people in in you know real space and not you know on the computer would be super yeah. cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no, no. So yeah, I I I I think that about wears me out. I think we covered. Uh, I think we covered great. a lot of ground. We we made it through all the questions. Um, do you have? Any parting? Oh, I never asked you. What's your favorite cosm? Oh, my favorite cosm. So that's like making you pick your children, right? <laughs> like that's not cool. You can't do it. You know. Uh, so in old Torg, my favorite was the Nile Empire, hands down. That's the one that's 1930s pulp heroes grafted on top of Egyptian mythology. So it's just like super crazy. In the new one, I probably got to go with the cyber papacy. Right, because it's just 
it's just so it's so true to today yeah like right well fortunately or unfortunately yeah but but as we were doing it it's like back back in the 90s the cyber papacy was weird right it was as weird as grafting 1930 pulp heroes onto egyptian mythology now you look out your window and you can see the cyber papacy you know with augmented reality and like you're just walking down the vegas strip you're like we're here, right? Like it's, it's, it's right out your window and that let us do some really fun things with it. You know, like <laughs> I'm an Xbox player, right? So, and I always thought achievement points were brilliant because they don't do anything, but yet people want them. <laughs> Why? Like, it's just a human behavior thing. Like I just want to have more achievement points than that guy. So I'm going to rent a game that I hate just to get the achievement points to have <laughs> more of this currency that does nothing so of course the cyber papacy would have this right they have their faith points like oh did you pray on your knees this morning you get five points you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. did you did you turn in your neighbor for heresy that's 50 points <laughs> it's like stuff like that it's just that's where the cyber papacy lives it's it's that super dark humor that, that judge dread and stuff like that has that i just love you know yeah that's funny yeah, cool. All right. Well, we've, we've got links to, to all the stuff. There's a link to Hard Vacuum. So if you guys are interested in, in checking out, you know, Space Combat, it's still World available. World War II Space Combat. Oh, here you go. Here you go. Um, if you enjoyed the show, if you like what you hear, you know, click on the likes, the subscribes. Uh, reviews are always helpful. Uh, it helps to get us noticed. Uh, you know, tell, you know, if you're in other forums, uh, you know, if you want to mention the podcast, that's awesome. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank Daryl for coming on. We, uh, I wish we had done this a little bit, a little bit sooner, but I'm, I'm glad that we, uh, we made the time to do this and, and, uh, wish you guys a lot of success on the Kickstarter. Thank you. And thank you for having me just, uh, anytime, man. Awesome. Cool. And it's great because you're local. So like we could actually hang out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for checking this out. Uh, thanks to uh, Space Goblin for coming and hanging out in the yeah, chat. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at RenCon. You have to put Space Goblin on your bed so we know who you are. Um, and thank everybody for checking this out. And we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.